So, you know, what's interesting is as, and this is a weird thing that I've come into this position with, is that our lean implementation from the beginning has been very, I don't want to say grassroots, but it's been extremely field focused, right? So the first thing that we started with was daily huddles in the field. Uh, next thing was a stand-up board. So if you've ever seen our massive board that's at Congress, you know, that, okay, to facilitate the daily huddle. Um, and then we tried to do, you know, last planner system. And then we tried to implement things like doing PPC. Uh, my second week working for the company, I was in a study action team uh, talking about tasks made ready and tasks anticipated as a way to inform PPC. Uh, and we implemented that and it worked pretty well, but that was on a, that was on a very large IPD driven job that was having those five connected conversations and the team understood if we got a 60% this week and our task made ready was even worse, then we just need to get better. Um, we've actually in some ways pulled away from some metrics because we wanted to go back to basics and say, okay, let's not focus on metrics here yet. Let's focus on building that culture. Let's focus on building that underpinning. And a big part of my like year plan from here on forward is, of course, we have controls metrics. We have, you know, no more than 2% of changes, you know, change orders on the job, uh, no more than, you know, 75% on PPC. We have those. Those are basic operating procedures. But what are some of these more advanced metrics that I want to look at? And that's actually probably a conversation I, I want to have with you separately is where have you seen some of these metrics that have succeeded that go beyond just these simple, um, you know, kind of schedule or, or budgeting metrics? One I want to take on is as we become more advanced in problem solving and we do more A3s and we do understand what these specific measures are for these problem solving tools, what are the more universal things that we want to look at? I know sometimes you see like straight up just the number of problems being brought up by employees, not problem solved, not a problem right. or solved percentage. It's just number of problems. I just want to know that we're doing these things every day. Um, one thing is we're implementing, uh, we're doing three, we want each foreman to check in with each crew three times a day and ask simple questions at each one of those. You know, it's, you. it's, they are, are your things being set up per plans and specs? So are they just building it correctly? What are they attaining? You know, so what was their budget and what is their goal? And 25% of the day, 50% of the day, and 75% of the day. That way, you know, if they're advancing the way they should be. And then in the morning, you know, you're asking, is the material point of use? Do they have everything set up? And so what we're doing is we're now collecting that information in Procore on some of the projects. I set up an inspection, which is just a form in Procore. Right. And now I have it filtered so I can just see the X's. And I want to see where are these things that are non-conforming. I want to know how many things we're non-conforming on because now I can go and actually look to see where are my problems. Is there a crew that's struggling more than others? How do we help them? Not from a, I, this is not a punitive thing in any way. This is a, where can we put more resources to be able to identify and remove constraints? Um, because a lot of people think you set these things up for you to get people in trouble. And I think it's the exact opposite. But to do that, you have to build trust. They have to right. trust that you are setting these things up because I want to help you, not because I want to fire you. It's the same thing with production studies, with first run studies, all that kind of thing, is that if you don't have trust with the field, you're not going to get good data. So those are kind of more the the metrics that we've been moving toward. Um, it's not rocket science. Literally, we've tried to keep it as simple as humanly possible because you often do get lost in the metrics when you have people. And most people aren't like us in our industry. Right. 
They don't care about the numbers. They care about how you feel. They care about if things getting done. So you use the we, metrics to yeah, inform Yeah, we care about that. both, Blake. We care about both we do. the feelings and the numbers. We do. Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple, collaborative ecosystem. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French, and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show. Blake Torney. Blake, did, did I just stun you with my welcome to the show? I mean, I'm kind of used to you by now, but yeah, that was uh, that was pretty good. I have you turned down a little bit in the, in the okay. headphones, so yeah. we're we're set. Yeah, you might have to you might have to do that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes but, I don't want to I don't want to redline the microphone myself, but I get excited. No, it's okay. I do yeah, feel hey. like just like yelling out, and I and I gotta say, like every time I've seen you, we're on a hugging basis now. There's no more handshakes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll take it. I think we're there. I think yeah, we're, we're there. We're definitely there. But I'm very glad to be here. I'm very honored to be on this on this call. I know you you have some pretty serious heavy hitters on this one, so I'm I'm glad to be in the company of giants. Yeah, you are. You are definitely the company of giants. You know, all of us people, I call us all change makers because we have this attitude problem. And I was I was just talking to Vic Ortiz this morning about something, and I said, I, th- I think we have a nice little attitude that's like just not quite right. Something is just off. <laughs> you almost have to be to, right? to want to improve this industry it's a it's a pretty crazy thing that we're trying to do here but hey you know why not be a little crazy yeah, we are just the right amount of crazy so blake we're going to put uh links to all of your your beautiful if you filled out the intake form correctly we're going to find out you know after the show's over we're going to look at the description below and see your bio and all the places where people can connect with you and people while you're looking down at the description. You're going to pass your hand over this little thumbs up button. Definitely tap that button on your way down to the description so that you can let Blake and I know that you enjoy this type of content and we're going to make more content like this for all the people that said, where are the trade partners at? Here they are. 
My name is Blake Tormey. I work at KHSNS Contractors here uh, in California, but we're primarily West Coast-based specialty contractor. Uh, we do everything from uh, metal stud framing, drywall to theme finishes. So, you know, you'll see a lot of our work in theme parks, casinos in Vegas, uh, hospitals all across the West Coast. We do a lot of fun, really fun stuff. It's a it's a quite enjoyable uh, trade to be in. A uh, little bit about my background. I actually, my academic was astrophysics so i went to school oh. got a degree in astrophysics and math. hold on hold on a second first astrophysicist on the podcast ladies and gentlemen this is a f that gets two two bells that's just I'll too amazing it. i didn't know that about you you've been holding out on me no it, it doesn't usually come up in conversation but uh the real deep-seated desire for that is really wanting to figure out the root cause of everything is really looking at something critically and say why does this work how does this work and you know physics a lot of learning it is taking a look at something that is seemingly super complex breaking it down into its most simple parts understanding the interconnectivity between those things and seeing how the system works as a whole so then after that, I ended up actually going into business and I went and got an MBA and focused on business analytics, which is literally just applying the scientific method to business problems. So you're still collecting data, looking at now complex things. And instead of looking at the stars, now I'm looking at numbers, looking at social information, that kind of stuff, and applying that kind of analytical side to it. Just before I was finished with my MBA, just so happened to run into Dave Suter, who sadly has now passed, but he was the founder of my company. Uh, many of you probably know him. And we both went to the same high school. He said he likes hiring people uh, with diverse backgrounds. One of my friends who was actually my boss at my company now for a couple of years, uh, turned around and said, you like a guy with different background? Here's a guy looking for work. And he said, this is the kind of stuff that we work on. It's really complex. It's really crazy. I was like, that sounds awesome. I love looking at stuff. And uh, my first project was Star Wars Land. And I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, which... That's the Millennium Falcon over there. I've got a oh, lightsaber yeah. up on the wall. Like I'm a pretty big nerd. It's fine. Yeah. I'll admit it. Um, and so that's how he got me in. And I was my company's first production engineer. So I was a, a boots on the ground, lean implementation tool. I was doing production studies, setting up, you know, lean boards, uh, setting up, you know, KPI modeling, that kind of stuff from the data side. Uh, pretty much just kind of filled in wherever need be. And then I went into project controls and analytics because they were like, wait, you know numbers, you should do all of our forecasting. So went through that piece. Uh, four years later, through a whole other stuff that I don't need to waste your time through, uh, yeah. we had a vacancy in this process improvement role. And I said, this is stuff I really like to do. Uh, my roles previously have already had so much lean emphasis and I already worked so closely with lean ideology that I said, why the heck not? take into this role and it's been really great now having this expanded power is not the right term expanded purview to really say there is no process out of my reach if i see something that i can help improve i can go and you know use relationships that i've built before and say hey how do we improve this if i see something in risk and safety or or you know they're trying to improve their you know outreach process hey let me come and help let me be that third party um our uh, director of marketing, maybe vice president of marketing now, uh, often brings me into meetings and he straight up just tells me, he's like, you don't need to be involved with this process afterward. I just want you to hear the current state, map it out for us so that we can understand what's actually happening and then give us a little bit of advice and then you're good. And I love doing that because I love learning new stuff and it really helps me understand kind of how the business works as a whole. And I think it's really important 
as a process improvement manager to see all those interconnected pieces because as with people, as with lean, as with everything that we do in, in, in construction, there is nothing that is simple. You know, lean tools can be simple, but they must be applied in complex manners. And it's usually in that application that people get lost in the minutia. Um, as Greg Stedman would say, you can't let the board outsmart you. You can't let a piece of drywall outsmart you. And so we need to be better at understanding how these things all connect to each other. And that's my job, but then make it simple for those who are going through process improvement to be able to improve themselves and not get lost in all that. So it's always a fine balance of what's the right amount of information to give and take, go and receive, et cetera, et cetera. I love so. that, Blake. I think I was just thinking like, you know, as you're telling that story, it seems like your prior training has launched you into outer space for process improvement. Like you're, you're, you're in a you're different right. orbit and all that, uh, the chatter on the interconnectivity. I mean, that's something that's, that's first time being talked about at a high level on the show and really definitely, yeah, we're going to definitely go cool. deeper on, on that okay. stuff. Cause I'm a huge fan of, of another super famous physicist named William Edwards Deming and his yep. buddy, I don't know if you ever heard of him, right? You heard of the guy right? yeah. and his buddy, Russ Acoff, where they were contemporaries and, the way that right. uh, Russ talks reminds me of, I mean, you remind me of how Russ used to talk. So wow. That is, yeah. that is, thank you. That's a compliment. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. You, I mean, you got it. I'm like, I'm coming out of my chair here. I'm getting like, <laughs> let me, uh, let me readjust because I'm excited, but I want to get back into, you know, some of the things that we were, you're touching on, you know, a couple different topics and, you know, you've got definitely, a strong technical skill set, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And even beyond what I ever thought, like now I feel dumb for, you know, having talked You're my not. dumb, my totally dumb talk different. to you so many times. <laughs> like if I could go back in time, I would ask, absolutely I would, not. I'm going to ask more questions with you from now on. Believe me, I wouldn't be here if we didn't have those silly conversations. So yeah. it's okay. <laughs> That's all good. Yeah. You, you heard that people? Blake appreciates my silly conversations and questions. Did I say appreciates? He, he said, like, if you re, if you pause and rewind, pull it back. Oh, he said man. appreciates. Like he, he loves got me, me, everybody. Yeah, he got he me. Said he, he said he loves me in my questioning. Ooh. So, what well, I want to ask you, given an got, inch, take a mile. That's what I do. It's, I, I'm, I'm like that. Yeah. All right, sorry. Go for it. I've been charming. That's what I what I've been told. But uh, mm -hmm. on that on that vein of charm, because you have this technical expertise and you know how to apply the tools at a very high level, probably even deeper in understanding patterns that the normal everyday change maker doesn't necessarily see. There's still the psychological component to it, which you kind of danced at. How do you help mm -hmm. people overcome, especially because you're working across the organization now, how do you overcome resistance when people are not familiar with the tools? As far as the resistance piece of it, I think the, you know, when you have a tool that someone doesn't believe in or doesn't understand the why behind the tool, they will never adapt or overcome or change. Uh, we do a lot of training to set the baseline of why we set up these tools. Why do we believe in lean? Why do we do a lot of these things? So that when people are presented first with a tool that they might not be able to understand, Instead of the shock, you know, putting them into a state of, I'll never be able to do this. I don't get why we're doing this. We try to level that out in those pre-conversations say, well, this is why we're approaching this. This is a tool that will help you with X, Y, and Z. And then slowly break them into, okay, if you can't take this whole tool at one time, let's 
break this down into what's going to be the most valuable part of this tool for you to learn. Okay, then let's dive into this. Um, my company about two and a half years ago, all the GSs uh, of each region got together and said, what are the things that every project should be doing at a bare minimum? They called it the nine fundamental lean values uh, in principle. And it's, you know, it's everything from production planning to 5S last planner system, which is just weekly work plan. There's a team action meeting and a superintendent's meeting that helps set those things up. It all feeds into itself. And, you know, a lot of guys, when they first see that, it's, it's shocking because it feels like so much. And, you know, a lot of them, what I have to say is, all right, let's focus on one. Can we focus on two? Okay. You got really good at those two things. Now let's do three and four, the things that build on it. So that's why uh, I'm sure we'll talk about last planner at some point today, but for our company as a trade contractor, really all we can control whether, and this is how we look at it, whether the GC does last planner or not is that we'll always do weekly work planning internally. And we'll always do, you know, at least two or three week look aheads based upon a GC. So if the GC is with us in pull planning, then yeah, sure, we'll be involved in phase planning and a little bit higher wherever they need us. Um, but typically, you know, even if we get a three week look ahead from, you know, some CPM schedule from, from the GC, that will inform our own three week look ahead and then into a weekly work plan. So we just say, let's focus on the weekly work plan. Okay, your project is so hectic, you can't even get a week out. Can you plan Monday and Tuesday? Can you plan Monday? You know, is there yeah. just like literally yeah. just get to the point where what can you control? Create that first step. Because if you're trying to climb up a hill of sand and everything's sliding out from underneath you, you need to find your first step. So find that point where you can create that first step to move forward on. And even if you're just sitting on that step because you've been falling for three months because, you know, a GC or another sub's beating you up constantly and you just can't seem to find your ground, hold them there and just say, all right, let's do this for a couple of weeks. Do I need to just, you know, enable you to go out on your job site and stand and do an Ono circle for five minutes a week just so you can decompress? I'm not even going to have you look for, for waste, but just decompress yourself on the job and understand where you are. Okay, let's start there. So it's it's usually a, a difficult task to be able to go and to have individual conversations and to take that time with a person to say, what is the first thing that we can do to improve where you are now? And you have to take everybody at where they're at. You can't you know have a blanket and say, well, we're all here. It's like, no, these are individual foremen dealing with individual you know, field workers who are putting in work. And that's where us, that's our challenge as a trade contractor is that our foremen are the ones that have to get this information out to a thousand different people. And those thousand people change every day. So that's one of the biggest challenges that we have is creating those kind of, uh, you know, that kind of training that can disseminate that information, but also doesn't completely flatten you know, our foremen and superintendents and saddle them with so much that they can't succeed in their own roles. And so you're reminding me again, something that Russ Acoff said, you know, Russ said, and, and you hit it because I was asking, how do you overcome these challenges? And you came back to communication and information flows. And Russ was talking about multiple lectures and anybody listening, if you want to go deep into systems thinking, Russ, Russell, Acoff, ACH is where you want to go. This, and this is exactly what Blake is talking about right now. So he's talking about the, the weakest link in this process improvement game. It's not convincing people. It's the fact that you've got this constant churn 
of new people and changing conditions that create a need to really be intentional about how you share information. And information flow improvement makes for process improvement. Like the two are interconnected. Last planner system for a lot of people that they think about, it's like creating stickies on a board or a digital software Mm -hmm. solution. And it really, when you boil it down, it's having an environment and the conditions right so that at least two people can talk in a meaningful way where they can make a reliable promise and then do it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, it might be a little bit out of left field, but I did a... uh a podcast or a webinar for uh, Lean Construction Blog with Jeremy Atkinson last year. And his big thing was, his question as a GC was, why do trade partners that come on say they have a great time with us doing these lean things, they're so gung-ho about it, then leave our project and then never do it again? Um, And they're saying, how do we make sure that we as a GC can do these things right, can make sure that trade partners buy in? And the first question I asked him, because he was like, I know a lot of projects start on last planner. You know, that's everybody thinks is, lean is last planner. Last planner is lean. And like, yeah, a lot okay, of people cringe. think that. Right. Because yeah. um, well, <laughs> most GCs, when they say, yep, we're going to do lean on this project, we're going to do a last planner system. Uh, next Wednesday is our first pull plan. Show up at one o'clock. Right. And I asked him how many projects that are not IPD specific or have some kind of IFOA, you know, whether it be a, some poly party agreement or some kind of a contract language to protect it. I'm talking lump sum job. How many of those lump sum jobs have you as a GC or have you seen other GCs invite a trade partner out for something that is completely about relationship building? Go get a beer before it. Go build the foundation. It was zero. And I said, that is why most of your trades will fail almost immediately because they show up in your trailer on boards that you've already built and you think you've done them a huge favor by doing all this. They have no buy-in. They have no relationship with you. They have no reason to think that this is part of their system. They're just playing in your plan now. And are they going to trust you when you push for them to say, can I make a reliable commitment to say that that thing is going to take three days? Hell no. They're going to sandbag it because everybody else is sandbagging it. As they should. So I was, that was, I tell superintendents Blake all the time. I said, when, when you're in a situation where you feel like the trade contractors are sandbagging you, they're reacting to your attitude and your piss poor philosophy because you're trying to push them instead of pull and create conditions so that work can just flow. And that, It sounds so easy. People rewind that and listen to it a second time. But I guarantee you, you've been in a meeting where somebody tries to make a commitment and it sounds like it's too long. And I've, I've been in this meeting where I've had to tell our superintendent, hold on a second. Let's understand why this activity mm-hmm. is, in fact, two weeks. Like superintendents of the world, if you were so good, and I'm, I used to be a superintendent and I used to have the wrong idea until I learned better from brilliant trade partners. If we knew exactly what to do and how long the stuff took, that means we'd have to know the crews, know the capabilities, know the processes, and then we can make the commitment. Why did we hire that trade contractor? Why aren't we just doing it? We can't do that. (laughs) So stop trying to dictate to people what durations are. Yep. And you know what all of that stuff takes is time. 
and it's understanding who you're working with, who's across the table, who's on the other side of this phone call for me. Do I understand that I can talk to you, Felipe, in a different way than I can talk to a different superintendent? Can I be real with you? And that's the the culture of these projects that you know that I was talking to Jeremy about. And I was like, the projects that succeed in lean implementations are the one that start with relationship building, that start with the understanding and conditions of satisfaction and true buy-in. I don't mean fake buy-in. I don't mean they sign on a contract to say that we're going to do these things. No, I mean that these projects are bought in and are consistent. You know, I've been on projects where the entire project team one month is different from the entire project team nine months later. And if, as you said, if that information didn't flow from one project team to the other, you just lost nine months of work. You just lost nine months of expertise on it. Um, so that's really what it all comes down to is we uh, we actually have a, a a big part of our internal lean training, our first, you know, kind of big foray into it. Uh, this is a story that Stedman likes to tell. And he says, how do you spell love? It's T-I-M-E, Right. The way that you show that you love someone, you give them your time, you give them your attention. All of your kids, you know, this actually made one of our superintendents tear up a little bit. He said, what do your kids want from you? Do they want a toy? Do they want, you know, when you're away from a bunch of time? No, they just want your time. It's the most valuable thing we have. And it's the most special thing that you can give anybody. And it's something that we give away so freely. And that's why waste is such a horrible thing. Because if we're just giving time away, it's the most precious thing that we have. And so that's where we start with it. You know, the best way to actually care about someone is to actually care about them. That's a great yep. quote. Yeah, you're going to make me, when we get off of the show, I'm going straight to my son's room and that kid's getting a hug. Oh, heck yeah. All right. I got, cool. I, just, I, got, I got that today. Yeah, you got that. That's thanks to you, man. You're improving my family. My family just got better because of this podcast interview. So thank you, Blake. Thank but you. I do, I do want to tell you, like, uh, I got a funny story about Jeremy that I'm not going <laughs> to completely share with people. You can definitely make a comment in the, put a comment in the video. Maybe I'll tell you in a comment answer. I do respond to all my comments on the show, but I'm in New Orleans just, and I'm doing a scrum training, of course, because that's what I, I love to do. Scrum takes me everywhere. And we're, Jeremy and I are out at night. Like we're getting something to eat. And Jeremy's like, you know what? I want you to hear some good music because I care about you. I want yes. you to get the real New Orleans experience. So he took me to like, I'm not even joking, like 12 different amazing venues on, uh, not on Bourbon Street. Frenchman Probably Frenchman. Street. Oh yeah. yeah. Frenchman Street. And Jeremy and I come upon this like stand. There's a vendor and they've got uh, glitter. It's a glitter vendor. And they say, hey, 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 y'all. Would you like glitter in your beard? We have special beard glitter. He wasn't going to let bad things happen to me, even with an incredible beard glitter. There might be pictures of it that he's going to leak on the internet at some point. Oh, I'm so excited. Jeremy, please <laughs> at Jer least text him to me, okay? Yeah, Jeremy's got, he took, I was like, as the process was happening, I heard like his camera come out of his pocket. And the next thing I knew, like he had all these pictures, so. Good. We'll see what's going to happen, Blake. That's how. Now, the real question is, how long did it take to get the glitter out of your beard? Shockingly, only two days. Wow. Yeah, just two days. But every Impressive. now and then, every now and then, I'll be like over like... something white and it'll, or something black. Either no the, the, the two high contrast colors and yeah. the, there'll be glitter there. And no I'll just be way. Like, Where did that glitter come from? 
it never it's, goes away. It's the gift that just keeps on giving. And it he does. told me too. He said, uh, you're just going to have glitter on you because forever. Yeah. Cause you're just shiny. And he, he told me that even before I got the beard glitter. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Now Jeremy's but, a great dude. That's, that's an awesome story. But that's the point people like the trust that we have is what allowed for that to happen. And my experience in new Orleans, that time was unlike any other time. And that's what we're offering all of you listening to this episode. You can create these types of experiences with the people you're going to spend eight plus hours a day. If you just take the time, T-I-M-E, like Blake and Greg say, give people the attention that they're due and let's make it better for all of us. Now, you, you said some things about Last Planner. Now that I know that you're statistically inclined, can right. I ask you some questions? So just thinking about oh, good all, Lord. thinking <laughs> about in general, all the projects that KHS, KHSNS, Thinking mm-hmm. of all the projects that KHSNS are involved in. It's a lot of acronyms here. It's okay. So, I, I, it's hard for me to say too, when I've been there for six years, so, so I get it. So and people, if you're listening, the acronyms that Blake has used so far, GS, General Superintendent, mm-hmm. IFOA, Integrated Form of Agreement, mm-hmm. IPD, Integrated Project Delivery. Mm-hmm. He didn't say LPS, but that's Last Planner System of Production Controls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did we miss anything? I'll think, think on it. I'll think on it while we while go through. Yeah. Yeah. So of all the projects that you, your company is engaged in, in a given year by Mm -hmm. percentage, how many do not pull plan or use less planner system at all? From a, from like a general contractor, large, the full last planner system milestone through the five steps of plan. I'll even go, I'll take it all the way down to a watered down photocopy of a last planner implementation. Count that as a as a binary on yes that that just, we are doing as our own choice. No, that's that's GCs? a sec, that's a follow up question. So okay, how many GCs question. of the projects you're on with general contractors by percentage? How many GCs are using less less than a third? Less than thirty three point three percent. Less than that's a higher number than I thought it was going to be. Okay, now if we let's let's fine tune the stats here. So of that third. You're attempting to implement LPS on all of the projects you're on, right? Even if it's yes. just a weekly in our work plan. in our yeah in our in our weekly work plan. That's that is our strive is that every goal or every project uses at least a weekly work plan. Um, do we hit that all the time? No, but I'd say we're probably at least eighty to ninety percent there. Okay, yeah, that's that. I, I like the sound of that. And the first time that I met uh, a very high level uh, specialty contractor, they were doing pharmaceutical build outs and you know, mm. new construction. And this was overseas in Ireland and they were pioneering last planner usage on projects where nobody was doing it. Like it right. was zero at the time. This was some, no, this is some time ago. It has since changed since then. But uh, I think that's fascinating. Like people, you can start anywhere, but I, if we think about the numbers, Blake, year over year, from the time we first met back in that Dave and Busters to now 33%, is a way higher number than what it was all those years ago. Absolutely. And it's, it, I will say, I think it's getting better. I see more involvement over time, but that's also, I'm more Anaheim specific. So we have, you know, certain clients out here that are doing it more. Um, it's, it can be different in different regions too. And I'm sure you see that because you travel even more extensively than I do, oh, yeah. which is insane. I see variation everywhere. 
I see so much variation. So now like when, when Blake was for people listening, he's like, what does he mean? Full blown last planner system. And that's because Blake and I know is the good little nerds that we are. And we're self-admitted nerds. Like there's, it's five connected conversations, but some people, they phone in like three out of the five conversations or sometimes they don't even phone it in. They don't even have the right number. Right. It's just, a, it's a missed call. Like they don't need seven, five, three, oh, nine. Is that one? Eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. Yeah. We'll auto tune that later in the. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Editor, I don't want you to you get can... copyright. Yeah. I don't want you to get a copy strike. Yeah. I don't want to, uh, I guarantee you, YouTube is not going to copyright strike me for my poor singing abilities. I'm going to have to get a singing coach and we'll have to PDSA that. But sounds good. Of Last Planner System, there's different levels. If you do the whole system, you can still do it at an amateur level. And then, like, it takes repetitions to get really good at it. And a lot of people just wing it. Like, even people yep. that know what it is and have implemented it on a job will come into a new project and just try to do it from memory. It astounds me, Blake. Blake, I'll tell you that wow. every time. I write down what I'm going to do and I have a standard, I have standard work for how I implement last planner system at the bull company. We have the bull production system. So it's mm-hmm. just like the five connected conversations, plus a couple, two extra steps, depending on the right. context of the job. But people, I write it down. I write it down. I'm, if, if you're doing it by, you know, just off the top of your head, you're just increasing yeah, all yeah. the variation that's going to happen. I've watched people skip steps because they don't understand the interconnectedness mm-hmm. and then it doesn't work. And they're like, well, that's system stupid. It doesn't work. It's like, well, what you did is not that system. What you did was you experimented and your experimented, right. your experiment blew up in your face. Didn't Glenn write a full phase like white paper, like six or seven years ago, talking about specifically this problem. <laughs> Just saying, go and read that white paper. That was yeah. my first that before I'd even learned about last planner system, that was my first last planner white paper that I wrote was people not implementing everything and then wondering why it doesn't work. Yeah. That's incredible. People, you know, people they try, try. There's a reason why you put your shoe on first and then you tie it rather than tying your shoe and then trying to get your foot in the shoe. Unless you got some yep. super loose shoes, but that's another story. What is a complaint you hear from a trade contractor's perspective? about lean implementation. You know, what's funny is that I don't know if I hear a lot of complaints. Like most people, it'll be on that front end of like, I'm busy. You know, they're complaining about their day-to-day. They're not necessarily complaining about the lean stuff that we try to teach them or, you know, they kind of are trying to do it. What it's, it really feels more like it's the quiet, you know, oh, we're going to do it today, but I know Blake's not going to be here tomorrow. So then we're just going to go back to what we're doing tomorrow. Right. And then he comes back out. Oh, Blake's going to be back out here in a week. Hey, let's make sure that our gang boxes are five S that day. You know, so it's, it's the, it's the implementation of it consistently is what I usually see the pro- the problem to be. And there are some guys who knock it out of the park. I know whether I'm there on a Tuesday or I'm there next month on a Friday, it's going to be the same thing. That's not to say that we don't have all-stars that that do it every day consistently, but typically when, you know, the biggest part with any lean uh, implementation is everything can be great when things are great. When you're on the mountain, you're done with the class, everybody loves it, everybody's high-fiving, but six months down the road when you're 20 days behind schedule, the GC's hounding you to catch back up. 
you know, you just spent three days straight doing 12s, maybe working weekends, not doing the weekly work plan, not doing 5S every day, not doing, you know, visual management to set up your crews the right way. Uh, it gets hard, right? And if you fall back on those old habits, it gets easier and easier to go back. So that's one thing that we try to teach in our classes is how do we make sure that it's consistent and manageable even when it's hard to do? Because um, everybody can succeed in lean implementation when it's easy. Uh, everybody can succeed in lean implementation. That's the that's the quote that's got me excited. Like first, there first are no complaints, and then there are complaints, and then the things that you described sound terrible. Like being twenty days behind schedule, it sounds terrible. Now I know, and you know, and you know that I know, Blake, mm -hmm. that the way projects are scheduled, planned, and executed, it's. I'm going to just go out and say it on the record. I'm going to say nine out of 10 times, one trade contractor's delay is not the fault of that great trade contractor. Often, often it's not. So I'm going to say 90% of the time it's not. That's what, that's what I'm going out there with my instincts based on my perception, my experiences. Now, all the other general contractors listening, I want you to stop and think about the last time you sent a delay letter or you threatened a contract clause on a subcontractor or trade partner, and you're probably still thinking subcontractor because you haven't studied some of the stuff that we're laying down yet right here. That's how it's done. It's one person at a time. Absolutely. change it, Blake. Crazy thing is I'm just like, oh, that just sounds like the lean implementations that we just started. How many people do you know started with, uh, you know, just for example, a scrum master coming in and teaching a scrum class at Dave and Buster's in Orange, California, <laughs> and a young, impressionable, you know, a student comes in who doesn't even start working for his company yet and sits with five people from his company learning about Scrum. Who would have oh known that that would have been? You who would have known you were in yeah. that uh, audience? And that's, I was. Uh, that I did not even remember it. Yeah, it's that okay. Was the I, second I time you, I, I ever did that presentation was that really audience. very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, that was my my first uh, anything with construction lean. It was two months before I started working with my company. It was while I was still finishing up my master's program. They're like, Hey, do you want to come to this thing? And I said, absolutely. Let's do it. Works out well. I, I love that. But I was just, right. before we got on this call, my son was eating dinner and my wife and I were telling him that a lot of people, when they're picking up a new skill, like you did with that scrum invitation, you know, some people, as they start to feel resistance, trying to master something, they just give up and slide back to this base position. Mm -hmm. I told my son, like, in reality, it comes in bursts and spurts. Like, you're going to go up, then you're going to level up. You're going to plateau again. You're going to sustain the gains, go up again, level up, and it's incremental. It's like a stair stepper. But a lot of people, you know, they'll get to a certain point, Blake, and they just slide back down. Yep. And you said in the beginning of the show, like, you talked about the habits like you come and people don't bring the habits in. I was, I was actually teaching scrum to a class this morning. I said, start super simple. And then they asked me like, where, where do you start? I said, start where the pain is. If you want to yep. help people change something, don't do it where something's working or perceived working well. Cause you know how we are, Blake, everything. Can right. Get better. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, you know, if you, if you work out and you tend, it's, it's the same thing, whether you're ha working a habit, you're working a lean tool into your new process. If, if you go to the gym and you find something that you're weak at doing the best way to get better at that thing that you're doing is practice and repetition. 
And so you have to work that motion, even if it sucks, even if you know you're terrible at it, you have to do it to get better. Um, and working through those habits, it's, you can also practice in one environment and I can go and run five miles out on a beautiful 70 degree Southern California afternoon. And it's the easiest thing ever. But then suddenly next week it's 95 in the middle of March because the weather doesn't make any sense and there's a wind blowing and that five miles just got a hell of a lot harder. So you're doing the same work, but different conditions. And so when we, you know, when we're teaching these tools, this is something that we've seen time and time again, because my company uh, has luckily been going through a lean transformation for over a decade at this point. So we're, we're still, we're not quite new to it, but you know, we're, we're a little bit more mature than, than a lot of people. So we've come through a lot of these ebbs and flows, right. Where we have, big lean pushes. When I first came into the company, we were on a huge lean push. You know, every comp, every, every project's doing this stuff. We got all these lean boards. We're coming out, we're developing new trainings. It's all hot. We got 50 people going through the certification or getting bronze certified, which is great. People are thinking yeah. new things. People are popping off. And then two years later, start sliding down a little bit. Some guys are still doing a bunch of it. Other people have kind of waned off. Uh, believe it or not, a lot of people are gone from that era. Because guess what? A lot of people didn't believe in it. And a lot of people said, you know what? I'm out. And wow. that's gonna, it's gonna happen. And if they don't believe in that culture, they don't believe in what you're trying to set up from just a base level. I'm not even talking tool implementation. I'm talking respect every individual, continuous improvement mindsets, you know, really looking for problem solvers. They're not gonna fit in. And you have to accept that. But what's happened now is, you know, we've come through a couple more waves and COVID was, you know, it's the C word, but it was such an impressive thing for me as I stepped into this role kind of coming out of COVID where going out to project sites and guys were still doing weekly work plans. Guys were still making sure that their lean boards were updated with some visual management stuff. Was it perfect? Was it tip top, tippy top that we just tried to teach in all of our classes for the most part? No, but the underlying undercurrent of people, guys were still looking for the plan. Guys were still trying to structure the agendas the same ways. It was all there. So that was the foundation that was now solidified. It's what we talked about. They made it to that plateau. Maybe they came down a little bit, but all COVID did, all that time did was solidify their foundation. So that's where we build upon. And those are the people that I'm super excited to work with because it's just like, hey, remember this stuff that we learned? Let's get it tuned up. Let's coach you from here. Because now they've they've done all the hard work of changing their habits. Now it's fine-tuning and refining rather than building from scratch. And that's probably the coolest thing that I've seen over the last two years is really seeing some people elevate with just a little bit of TLC. It doesn't take a lot, but it takes consistent, you know, going out and checking on it, making sure, you know, I say I'm going out to shake hands and, and kiss babies all the time, <laughs> right? Just to say, I'm just going out to see you, just to see how you're doing. And it's amazing what that consistent impact can do for people. And when you can get people who are calling you saying, hey, can you come out and sign me off on this item for my CIP, continuous improvement program, you know, thing. That's what I want. I want to get pulled, right? I want to be pull plant. Uh, I had a superintendent reach out last week who's fairly new out in Colorado. Um, we don't have a lot of resources out there right now. And he was like, hey, when's the next class? When can I, what can I do in the time being? So I literally just set him up with some of our, uh, some of our internal 5S stuff, sent him some YouTube videos, uh, plug for the field crew daily huddle, which yes. is something that, uh, that 
Henry Nutt and a few of us have been putting together over the last couple of years. It's uh, it's a great resource of short two to three minute YouTube videos from all types of trades, GCs, everybody on lean processes to 5S to visual management to culture stuff. Sent him that. And I just said, go nuts. Watch some of these videos, um, which you should do too. Uh, hey, it's a great I'm, I'm proud to say I was in the first 100 subscribers on the field. Absolutely. Crew huddle. And we'll put a link in the description below. Shamelessly plug LCI yep. <laughs> and, and the work for, especially focused on the, the trade partners because y'all need the TLC. So Blake, when you come onto a project team, you have this skill or this sense called intuition. And you can pick up a lot of things just by being with the people, not talking. I learn way more with my mouth shut, my eyes and ears open than when I'm running my mouth. Now I do love to run my mouth. Don't get me wrong. Blake, Blake has seen me and I, I do enjoy talking. Yes. So, it's true, everyone. Yeah. And the happiness metric, you're looking to see engage both directly and indirectly with some questions. And I think, you know, it's the time is due. I'm going to just write a blog post. Uh, before this show goes live. So ladies and gentlemen, we'll see if I can 100% my PPC, put my hand up. I'm making nice. the promise to have the blog post done so that when you look in the description below, there's going to be a happiness metric blog post for designing construction professionals. It's going to tell you exactly what the questions are and what are the benefits to that. But I'll tell you that I've used this on construction companies and project teams since I learned about it in about 2017. So a year after we met, to make predictions. And it is crazy accurate. Nice. There's a correlation between the level of happiness that a team has and their success. The two are interrelated. Teams mm -hmm. that are frustrated, stressed, facing a lot of challenges and complexity, don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, other than a train that's going to run them over. Those teams tend to be falling down on multiple different types of metrics like cost, schedule, change order. I mean, even fights. I've even seen where happiness goes really low and fear goes high. Physical altercations are what mm -hmm. happen next. And then you can see the same thing with safety. Uh, when, when fear and uncertainty are very high, you're going to see a lot of first aid incidents. And if not, you know, full-blown recordables or worse. And so now that I'm saying it out loud, you just start to think about all the jobs. If, if people, if you have a chance to look at your portfolio projects and just look Pareto chart it, and for my nerds out there, you know exactly what I mean when I say Pareto chart. If you don't, you can duck, duck, go look that up, or you can even use Bing and you'll probably get a decent search result. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> but uh, my point, my point is there's a common pattern in the teams that are performing at a high level. Like you mentioned that very highly integrated project team, that team had a high level of trust and was open and willing to try something new and looking at very tiny nuanced differences in last planner for, for tasks that most teams never have to focus on. Yep. And, and it's so bad out there. People like I've gone to so many projects where people are like, we totally have given up on pool planning and last planner. And what really has happened is that they were in a low trust environment with all that nerdy stuff said, What's a case study example that you can share where trust was high? What did you implement and what measurable results did you see? So probably one of the easiest examples that I can show 
at least in a in a short conversational forecast like this are when I have these project teams specifically here that are local in Anaheim that I've done a lot of production studies. Well, we call them production studies internally, but first run studies. So for those who aren't aware of what first run studies are, they're basically just game film. So what does every professional sports team do more than they actually play in the game? They watch tape. Tape doesn't lie. They watch their opponents. They watch themselves. They do it to get better. So what we'll do here is you set up a GoPro. You go and you talk to them. You orient them. You say you let them know why you are filming them. This could be a repeatable. Pro Most of the time, it's a highly repeatable process during its first run or close to its first run, hence first run study. Uh, and so then that way you lessen the learning curve. You film them, you go, and then most importantly, you bring that crew in to watch the film of themselves. I do not have years of experience in the field. I can just facilitate a conversation between those who do have experience and are looking at information in a new way, right? So locally here, there's a bunch of teams that I've known that I've done these things out. So I can just rip out to a project right in the morning, hit them with their stand up at six o'clock in the morning, say, yeah, we're going to do a production study on this. Cool, boss. Thank you. We're glad you're here and go right into it rather than having to do the whole preamble. And most of the time, those are the guys who then will feel comfortable coming, watching the film afterward. It's, it's easy. Um, you know, and when you can facilitate that kind of conversation, a really good example was we were, uh, exterior framing on a very large, uh, box, uh, type building. It had IMP panels on the outside of its insulated metal paneling. And so it needed a Z-Gert for a connection and that Z-Gert needed a X bracing in between it. Um, now these Z-Gerts were massive. They were 12 inches deep, like 10 gauge steel, and wow. they had 40 foot spans between. So there was a pretty substantial belly in it. And so after our first run, so, you know, probably two days worth and the guys had gotten about 20 feet down the way, uh, we get our first production report from them saying, yeah, we are hitting a quarter to a half of the production that we need. All right, let's stop. Let's go look at it. Well, what they were having to do, because this wall is 80 feet tall, every time this bellied, this guy had to measure, yell down to his apprentice, get these, you know, X braces cut to the specific height. Okay. Put it up, go all the way up to the top. Now come down, go up tons of waste in the right. process. Um, do a film study with these guys, take it to their crew. They come up with a couple of different improvements. You know, things are, things are going to get a little bit better, but then someone from another crew who's taking break just on the other side from the interior crew is looking at what we're doing. And Hey, on the interior here, we got 40 foot studs that we're building. Can you just use one of these studs as a strong back and lock in the entire elevation between the belly? And then that way, you know, every single measurement you have to take for every elevation going forward. And then you can pre-cut all of it and just have it all there in your massive 40 ton. It felt like scissor lift and just do the whole thing overnight. We went from half our production to two and a half times our production overnight, just by oh. doing that. And that was one, yeah. one guy having one suggestion because yeah. he saw 15 seconds of a video. Now that is an extreme example. That was a $250,000 scope of work that we saved $110,000 on. 
that's what I was hitting the soundboard to get you the I got you. And so, you know, we, yes, that saved a ton of money and that was also an IPD job. So yes, we were able to give that money, you know, back to the, to the, to the agreement. And the other part of it too, was now we could just knock out however much of the elevation they wanted in whatever time that was no longer a schedule constraint. So, oh yeah, we can do this in, you know, in a week rather than in two. And so that just made all the scheduling easier. It, so everything that that caused was because we had a simple conversation that I was able to help facilitate. I didn't come up with the ideas. I wasn't the smart one in the room, but it was just giving the opportunity to someone to have their voice heard. And most of our productive studies, the most value I see out of it is literally the five minute pre-meeting when I can actually talk to everybody and say, what do you think could be better? And then they give you every single reason why it could be better before you even study it. And they're like, okay, cool. Hey, Mr. Foreman, can we implement that? Oh, something's wrong in the, in these, uh, so, you know, we have Howick, so we pre, we can pre-make a lot of our own studs that are all pre-punched. Sometimes the, the holes are a little bit too low to the ground. So when they're trying to attach the bottom track, they can't get it right because their impact isn't the right thing. So I literally called the CD guy who's on the project, called him to come out. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll move it up a quarter inch. So everything that ran for the rest of the job right there, two second improvement that saves minutes and, and less back pain. And you're always looking for the small wins and hope the big ones come along with it. So those are probably some of the best like trust building kind of quick wins and process improvements that I've seen from lean are just having these conversations and letting these kind of knowledge bases come to work and feel like they can be heard and facilitating that conversation. I love that so much, Blake. That's a great story. Great story. It gets another one or two times like lowering frustration, listening to people talking. Blake, we definitely have to have you come back and do a Sweet. future show because there's just so much to still unpack that we barely <laughs> just scratched the surface. I just want to ask you, as people are anticipating, like having you back on the show, what's one thing you want them to think about as they go on to have their beautiful, productive days? I think one of the biggest things that you can think of is how can you make an impact on someone else's life today? Not from a process standpoint, you know, change processes, but what can you do that makes their life better? Because if you can make their life better, they will trust you. They will do whatever you can do to help. It just, it makes it so much better. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.